Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Patricia Gallagher, a super creative kick-ass boomer, an author and poet, and so much more. Patricia has created several projects, all with the intention of bringing peace, hope, and healing to the world. So let's welcome kick-ass boomer Patricia Gallagher. Welcome, Patricia. How are you today? I'm good, Terry. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to have you as a guest because you're so creative and you've done so many different things. So, but we're going to start the conversation with why you were inspired to write the team of angel poems. And I understand you started with one and now there's hundreds. So tell us about that. I never really liked angels or had any angel experience. I never liked poetry. But there was one summer day in 1998 when I was truly overwhelmed. And I don't know why, but I remember being in my basement right by the water heater. And I just remember saying, I need a team of angels, Lord. I don't think one will do. Please send me all the help from high for what I'm going through. Guardians to watch over me and help my soul to cope. I'll do the best I can to cherish gifts of faith and hope. And it might not have been exactly like that, but I know I wrote that down. And I called my friend Terry because she was overwhelmed too. I had four kids, she had more than that. And she, I read it to her and she said, Oprah said she has a team of angels. And then I thought, oh, I was calling this an angel for the overwhelmed. I think I'll call it a team of angels for the overwhelmed. And about that time, I had discovered the Monastery of the Poor Clares. And that's a place, a monastery, where when the sisters go in there, they never come out. They pray for people who have no one else to pray for them. And I sat in that chapel, and I just wrote a poem a day, a team of angels for depression, a team of angels for the healing grace of God, a team of angels to protect my family. And one of the nuns looked out from the grate that they have, and she said, you're in here every day. Are you okay? <laughs> That's funny. And I said, sister, I'm writing poems. And somehow we connected. Wow. And by that time, I thought, I want to make a pin, like a team of angels pin, and attach it to this poem mm-hmm. card. But I didn't know how to do that. And in the meantime, when I wrote the poem, maybe it was during the next six months, I went to Office Max and I had them make 100 cardboard team of angels for the overwhelmed with the poem. And I went to Columbus flea market and I bought hundreds of little gold charms that somebody was selling. And then I got gold safety pins from AC Moore or Joanne's. And I hung the three angels from the safety pin and attached it to the card from office max. And during those months, I just left those angel pins with that poem for anyone that I thought may be overwhelmed. A friend whose son had cancer another friend whose little child had drowned in their pool. There were many people who needed that were much more overwhelmed than I was. And after I talked to that sister, I said, I really want to make 
a lot of these pins. And I said, I don't think I'm the only overwhelmed person here in Bucks County. And she said, oh, no, dear, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) You definitely are not. (laughs) Why don't you go to the Catholic shop? Who would think that a nun that was cloistered would give me an idea? Go to the Catholic shop in Newtown and look at their items and see who makes this costume jewelry. Right. And I found a company in Rhode Island and I contacted them. And that's how I began to manufacture the pins. And the first run was for 10,000 Team of Angel pins. And then I did another 35,300 and then another 48,000 and then another design of a smaller pin. And wow, that's a lot of pins. (laughs) Well, it got to 125,000 pins. And that was just up until 2009. And I haven't ordered them since then. Although a couple of times I contacted them and I got their pricing for this period of time because of all the projects I've done, Terry, in my life, this is the one that I feel like is my baby. I just yearn to do more with that. And I always hope that a bigger company might find me and kind of sponsor it or adopt the project. But in my heart, I know that 125,000 people have received a team of angels pin that was attached to a poem card that offered a poem of comfort. And And you sent some to the soldiers too, right? Which is wonderful. (laughs) That's amazing. 5,000 pins went to our troops when they were in Bosnia, Herzegovina, Albania during that war in 1999. Mm -hmm. And I initially had contacted a chaplain at McGuire Air Force Base and one at Fort Dix. And I asked them if anybody there was overwhelmed because I had 10,000 pins for the overwhelmed. (laughs) And the chaplain said, Patricia, do you know what it's like to be called to an unknown part for an unspecified period of time for an unknown cause? Yes, we would like to have these pins to go in the packs of those being deployed. But by some kind of synchronicity or good fortune, I was contacted by a reporter Amy Seabolt with the Stars and Stripes. And she heard about the project and asked how she could help. And with her help, mm-hmm. it was the chaplains and the military wives in Wiesbaden, in West Germany, who requested that I send them 250 pins in large boxes. And that's how I distributed 5,000 pins to our troops. And I received 30,000 letters over the years from people that told me where they were. In particular, there was a cavalry unit. I didn't even know what that was. Mm. But whoever was the top official in that particular group requested them for her troops multiple times, 100 at a time, 150, because she knew what they were going through during that war. Right. But there have been so many people that contacted me that I just read every letter and I thought, boy, I was overwhelmed. But when I read the letters, I thought, boy, I was never overwhelmed as the mother whose three children died in a fire or Mm. someone who lost their twins at birth. They were just heartfelt letters that I, I never knew how the pins got to people. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I knew is on the back of each team of angel pin, which was a gold lapel pin with Mm -hmm. two little lapel things. And it was on a very pretty card, kind of like Hallmark quality, glossy. Mm -hmm. 
and had the poem. And there were 300 poems that I wrote eventually. But on the back, it said, please keep this angel pin until you meet someone who needs it more than you do and kindly pass it along. Oh, and then it had so my nice. address. Right. Patricia Gallagher, 301 Holly Hill Road, Richboro, <laughs> Pennsylvania, which I moved from there years ago. Right, right. But so many people took the time to write. Even a man on death row that said he wasn't able to receive that pin, but he had gotten a notification. It was sent to him. Could I send him the poem cards that he was allowed to receive? Oh, wow. Um, I did find out what he had done and he was executed, but it just touched me so much that pins not only reach people with illness, there was also when I placed them on my porch, February 2nd, February 9th in 1999, people came and they took the pins and in the Pottstown, Pottsville newspaper, I don't want Pottsville daily something or other. Mm-hmm. Somebody sent me a color picture on the first page and it said, people at the trial of blank, 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 wear an angel pin in memory of the three children that were killed by a drunk driver. And this was the trial for the person that had had that accident. Right. And I wondered, how did people get enough pins that I saw the spectators in a whole courtroom all wearing my team of angels pin. That's amazing. Amazing. And I figured, I figured that when I had them on my porch, February mm-hmm. 2nd to February 9th, right. 1999, and the local media had told people that anyone could come and take whatever pins they needed for whatever cause, that maybe somebody in Doylestown or somewhere in Bucks County had a loved one in that community in Pottsville and somehow took those pins to them. Probably. That's probably what happened. That's mm-hmm. a lot of pins. You must have had constant traffic up and down your driveway. That's a <laughs> lot of pins. <laughs> well, February 2nd to February 9th of that year, right? it was like Halloween, Terry. Like, I would think, what right. if nobody comes? And then three, four, five cars, and I'd keep people coming in. Right. And then it got to the point, I thought, I want to know who these people are. Because one lady left an album of her son who had died of an allergic reaction or asthma attack or something. Right. And people were leaving little things. And I had a basket for their intentions. And I said, if you'd like to write your intention, I'll take this basket to the monastery, the poor Claire's. But then my kids were in school and my husband was at work. And I thought, I think I'll just open the door, put on a cup of uh, of Mr. Coffee (laughs) and I'll have some Entenmann's cakes and maybe people will come in and like gather. Oh my God. And then I stood back and I said, there's people in the sunroom. There's people in the family room. There's people in the living room. There's people in the dining room. And all these strangers were just talking to each other. Right. And it just really made me feel so happy. And then it was the last day when a lady asked me if I had anything for the military. And I said, no, but come, come back a little bit later. Come back tomorrow, the next day, whatever I said. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote a poem called, a team of angels to protect our protect our armed forces, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. And I went to Office Max and had them make a red, white, and blue type of design. I put that poem. I called the lady. I gave her a whole bunch of them for her son's battalion, wherever he was. I think he was in, <laughs> in Kosovo as well. Right. And that kind of launched why I had 5,000 that went to Wiesbaden, West, Wiesbaden, West Germany with that poem. 
Right. Oh, that's just amazing. And it was beautiful. I saw the poem. It's a, a beautiful, they're all short, but they're so well written and they're so beautiful that they really do make people feel better. It brings them peace. I it hope so. Does. Yeah. And, that, and that's why on my website, I decided to put those poems. Maybe I selected a hundred mm-hmm. and I think I put these a team of angels in the meantime of a difficult situation. (laughs) (laughs) And I figure I was going through that. And I just wrote, I don't know how it all will end or if the problems will begin again. I'm so weary of grief and pain. Oh, to be an unknowing again. I asked the angels with their skill to open my heart to accept God's will. And in the meantime, I ask God to send a team of angels to be my friends. And I'm just going to open another random one. And I remember I wrote this when my father had throat cancer and had the box and everything. And he was going to Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And it was a team of angels for courage. When facing the unknown, fear comes into play. You try not to worry, but it creeps into your day. This courageous team of angels feel your worry too. When you feel your heart is racing, they are praying just for you. And honestly, Terry, they're not even my words. I don't talk about, I don't talk (laughs) like that. You know, like I look at them myself and go, where did they come with? And I think like one of my favorite ones was a team of angels to protect my loved ones. And I think that's a universal feeling. Absolutely. And I wrote, Please send a team of angels, Lord, to watch my loved ones dear, to guard them and protect them when they are far or near. I worry about the world, dear Lord, in which we all now live. A blessed team of angels is the best gift I can give. And I wrote these when my kids were, they were 6, 9, 12, and 14 at the mm-hmm. time. And I know you're just worried about so many things with your kids and with your husband and your family and your extended family. And so to me, they weren't poems. I think they were just prayers that just came from just from wherever I was at the time. They are more like prayers. They really are. They're beautiful. Mm -hmm. So somebody is kind of channeling them to you so that you can send them out to the world to, to help us all feel better. And especially now with COVID, people are going through really hard times. They're alone. They can't mm-hmm. see their loved ones. These poems can can really be helpful this time more than any other time, I think. And I hope what people can do is they know they can go on my website. They can save them to the computer. They can print them out. They can email them to a friend. There's no cost to anything. Right. I think if these are just made shareable for people, they can just be a tiny little gift you can give someone to offer them comfort or encouragement. Right. So we do want our our Boomer Nation to go to her website and really do that for your family and friends. And I think the the website is creativelivingwithpatricia.com, correct? That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that'll be in the show notes as well. So you'll be able to go back to the show notes, but all these poems are there for you to use and uh, help lift up your family and friends and even yourself. And it's been a long time since I first began the project, Mm -hmm. but although I've done a lot of things in the meantime, I really, 
I just really want to continue to write the poems because now at age 69, I'm in a different place than I was earlier. I wrote one for serious illness. I written them to thinking of you. I've written them for accepting what I cannot change. I've written them for a troubled loved one. And I can remember when I wrote a team of angels for a troubled loved one, my son was in playing basketball. He was probably about 10 and I was just so upset. I couldn't even go into the school and watch him. And I remember sitting out in the car and saying, my loved one has some troubles, Lord. You know, we need your peace. Please send a team of angels, Lord, to help the problem cease. We'll pray by day and pray by night. Please keep the angels in our sight. With their love, we know we'll find our very long, long for peace of mind. I remember I was at Holy Redeemer Hospital and I just thought, oh my God, life is so hard. And then I wrote a poem, A Team of Angels for When Life is Hard. So that's how they all came about. Right. Whenever you had a little difficulty, you wrote a poem about it. That's right. We all have the same difficulty. So it's great. It's there to help everyone. Different times, different ages, but we all have them. Mm -hmm. So that's great. And it's also, I think, nice for people to know that maybe you and I, we're a little bit older. We've had those problems, those times when we were just driving around and we just, our heads were hurting and our hearts were racing. And right. Thank God other people came to support us when we were going through that and we got through to the other side. So hopefully by sharing these things on your show, people will know they have tough times, but there's others that will guide them through some of these things. Yes. And these poems or prayers, they do sound more like prayers to me, will be very helpful. They really will. They'll bring you peace and healing. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're meant to do. Thank you. Yeah. And and you have a couple different projects that you're doing, many different projects. But one of the other ones is really key for right now. It's um, it's called I Love You Deeply. And that's a great little project for Valentine's Day. And since everyone can just go to your website, there'll be a little drop down box all the way on the right. It says projects. And you just take the, the little drop-down boxes, and you'll see I Love You Deeply. And tell us a little bit about that and how that came about. Well, during the pandemic, uh, somehow I just got really creative. I got back to my old self. I uh-huh. used to think I was so creative when I was 48. I don't know why that pops out in my mind, but I remember at that time, I just decided to rent a vehicle, rented a van, I decorated it with, do you need hope? Ask me for a free team of angels pen. And I went on the road, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago, Des Moines, Nashville, Knoxville, down to Florida, up to Virginia Beach. Oh my and God, how long were you gone? That's crazy. I'm not, I'm, I was gone about a month and I took the kids and I, you know, and I, sometimes I took the kids and their friends. And wow. I, I've done three tours like that. I called them my tours whenever I came out with a new book or a new project, and I had the same route. Right. I would contact libraries, along, public libraries. I would mm-hmm. contact churches and say, I'm coming through your town and whatever my topic was. Right. So that was my creative period. And then I feel like I've done other things. I was doing the stuffed animal project where I collected 11,000 stuffed animals from people on Craigslist. 
not all at once over three years. Right. And everybody has stuffed animals that their kids no longer need, but I wanted new and gently used. Right. And there were many schools and kids doing bar mitzvah projects and everything that would find out about it. And yeah. they would have these kids do it. And I would get a call from a synagogue in Yardley, for example, <laughs> that had 750 new stuffed animals. Wow, because that's the parents. A lot. The parents didn't give used ones. They went to the Disney store and their kids gave magnificent ones. Wow. And then my mother, who was in her 80s, she and I would take them to nursing homes and we do a little program with them and everybody would get something to hold on and cuddle. And you might think, well, why would an older person in a nursing home want that? Well, it would be a conversation starter when the CNA would come in. Oh, where did you get that? Or it would be them just saying, I used to have a dog like this. Or right. more often than not, they held it. They held it to hold on to. Yeah. Or sometimes they would just put them on their bed. Right. So I did the stuffed animals and I done, did the flower project and I've done things, the team of angels. But during the pandemic, I had to stop doing the flowers for a little bit. And that was the flowers that I was picking up from specialty markets. They're day-old flowers. And I was taking them to hospitals and nursing homes. And with that project, I was on the Today Show with Hoda and Jenna. And that was right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then right after the pandemic started, I couldn't go into nursing homes. And I couldn't go pick up the flowers. So I sat in my little place with my candle and my tea and my hot chocolate. And anything that I had ever thought of in my life, I started putting together on this website or in these little books. And my best friend, Terry, had a little granddaughter who was four. And little Maisie said to her mother, Mom, I miss Gigi so much. I love her deeply in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) And that from a four-year-old. That's amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. (laughs) She called her grandmother Gigi. I said, Terry. Oh my God, I love you deeply in my heart. What a beautiful saying. I said, boy, isn't that what everybody wants? Somebody to love them deeply in your heart. So I sat down and I just put together 100 things. I love you deeply because you listen to me. Mm -hmm. I love you just deeply because I can count on you. Whatever it was, I love you deeply because you make me feel so feminine. And I put these, I love you deeply in a book called, I love you deeply. And I put that on Amazon. And then next project, I was sitting there that was done. And I did eight or nine of these books during the pandemic. (laughs) And somehow I thought of airmail messages to God. And I thought, hmm, I think I just wanted simple prayers that just came to me that would be for everyday issues or in times of crisis. Right. So I wrote I'm just glancing at one. It was airmail messages to God. Oh and it God. said, God, please help me with my hurt feelings. When someone says something that I perceive as unkind, mean-spirited, or insensitive. Mm. Then I wrote another one. God, we all have gifts and they are different. Give me insight about the value of my talents, gifts, and abilities. If a natural born talent has been hidden, I pray that I discover it. Grant me opportunities to share my gifts. And I don't know where these came from, Terry, but thank you for all the roses in the garden of my life. I've never said the roses in the garden of my life. Where'd wow, that come from? That's so beautiful. 
the people, projects, and everything that you have given me to carry me along. So I did that. And then I don't know where this came from. I called it All Will Be Well. (laughs) (laughs) All Will Be Well. That's what we need during the COVID crisis because everyone's upset. Will we get over this? So that's great. All Will Be Well. (laughs) So I just put all these little pictures and all these pages and I just wrote this. I want you to know I really miss you. My daughter was living in California. And then another one I wrote, I enjoy being with you so much. And then another one, please don't fret over it anymore. Just call me. And then another one, when I first met you, I knew we clicked and that we would be friends. Even though we don't see each other or talk very often, we always seem to connect as if no time has passed. I love how we laugh and reminisce about our memories. I appreciate your friendship. So all these yeah. were just what I was thinking in my tiny little hidey hole here during <laughs> the pandemic. Right. And it just made me just want to express myself. And then after I did all these things, I put them in these little booklets. Mm-hmm. But I posted everything on my website that, so that other people can just download it and share it. There's no need to buy anything. They can just pass these sentiments along to anybody that they feel this way towards. That's so great. That's so wonderful. So that if there's baby boomers sitting out there that don't know what to do, you know, we're all home alone, start sending these out to your family and friends. You can just download it and email it to them. So it's so easy, but it's a way for you to keep in touch. It's a way for you to be connected with family and friends that you can't see right now. So Mm -hmm. it's a simple thing for people to do. And yet you might brighten someone's life up a lot by sending these messages out. Yeah. Yeah. I I love the idea. (laughs) And there was just one more I have in front of me and I called it Patricia's Positivity Postcard. (laughs) I've never (laughs) sent a postcard in my life. And I subtitled it 50 Thoughtful Messages to Encourage, Affirm, Compliment, and Show You Care. And I think what I was really thinking when I got into that mindset, what would I like somebody to say to me? (laughs) There you go. You know, like, what do I, what have people not said or what have they said or what do I wish they would say? Right. So I'm just going to open one at random and I'm going to read it. You are an inspiration. You are the best daughter a parent could wish for. This problem is only temporary. This too shall pass. Don't worry. If you make a mistake, you can remedy it and move on. In a well-intentioned effort to make things work out, I gave away a piece of my heart. And so did you. We both need to mend it now. Mm, You know, I think everybody can relate to something like this. And I remember when I was in Skip Back, I was in a restaurant and I saw a banner or a sign that said, do more of what makes you happy. And as I was doing these projects, I thought, you know what? I thought I liked to be out and about every single day doing flowers five days a week. And I love doing that. Mm -hmm. But I also found that I love being by myself and creating these things. 
And it's a good thing because when you do what you are passionate about, it comes through and you can help a lot more people with these little sayings and prayers. Really, if the word gets out and people are downloading and using them, it's going to get, it could go around the world for that matter. I mean, it can. Mm -hmm. So it's perfect. You're going to reach a lot more people that way. Thank you. Yeah. I think of um, people have, a few people have said, you know what? What, why do you keep taking these risks? Like, like you take risks, right? you know? You do. You sound a little crazy, <laughs> like hopping in your van and drive. But you know what? It's how I can imagine it's helped so many people that you aren't even aware of. You know, you touched their lives. You brought joy and peace. And they just, you know, they got it. You don't know how. You don't know how they profited by it, but they did. So it's out there and it's helping people. I really believe that. And it energizes me. And I think for your listeners too, if they do more of what they love, it energizes them. It does. My my father had a saying that I never got. He said it all the time. He would say, (laughs) that's all attitude. We didn't know what he was talking about. No, no. As a kid, you wouldn't know. (laughs) No. Or as a teenager, even an adult, like, what do you mean, dad? Well, it's it's your attitude. You know, you have to have a good attitude, you know. You do. But he also said, nothing ventured, nothing gained. See, And he said that all the time. Right. And I finally got, got it when I was probably in my thirties or forties. And I had some ideas for a book and my books were eventually published by Doubleday and other major publishers at one point. Mm-hmm. But my father said, Trish, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Nobody's going to call you up and say, Hey, Trish, do you have a manuscript in that drawer? You want me to publish? <laughs> That's <And> right. <laughs> You know, I'd say, Dad, I wrote this book about how to start this and how to start that. Yeah, but you can't just leave it in a drawer, Trisha. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. That's right. And the first book, I guess I had beginner's luck because it was published by Doubleday, which was a big publisher. Big publisher, yep. And they took sent me on a media tour, like all the people are talking shows and the Oprah Winfrey show and wow. Sally Jesse and Mari Povich. If I hadn't listened to my father... Mm -hmm. To take that manuscript out and take a risk that it could be rejected. Right. And by chance, I had beginner's luck. Never had that luck again. But I went to a big writer's conference. It's called Mm. the American Booksellers Association. Mm -hmm. With my little manuscript, Spiral Bound. Wow. And I wasn't called that title. It was called Child Care and You. Because I was doing a child care business in my home at the time. Mm -hmm. And I went from booth to booth to all these publishers, Random House and everything. And when I got to Doubleday, I said, you know, I wrote this book telling other mothers that there's life after I had worked for Bell Telephone and I had a decent job and everything, but I was staying home with my kids and I decided to do this childcare business. And I was so excited about it. I thought other mothers could do it too. So I printed a bunch of copies of the book and I taught non-credit classes at Bucks College and Montco, just one night seminars on how to start a childcare. Right. But for the curriculum, I just made this gigantic handout, which I called <laughs> Childcare and You, uh-huh. a comprehensive guide to opening a childcare business in your home, <laughs> something like that. Right. And then when I went to this conference, I just showed them the manuscript and they said, we'd, they looked at it and contacted me and said, we'd like to publish it. And I went, publish it? Like, and give me an advance of $12,000? Like, wow. are you kidding me? <laughs> and I said to them later, I mean, I had to make a lot of revisions to make yeah. it for them. 
Right. But I said, what? And I couldn't have imagined in the order of the universe. I said, why were you interested? They said, oh, didn't you look at our catalog? We have a whole series. Start your own landscaping business. Start your own catering business. Oh, my gosh. Whatever. And you didn't know that ahead of time. I didn't know that. So they knew that their sales reps had a big audience for the Start Your Own At Home series. Yep. So they knew that with me making this book in the same format, that that would fit right into that Start Your Own At Home series. Yep. There was another time that I wrote a book called Raising Happy Kids on a Reasonable Budget. I called it Penny Pinching Parents. And I went back (laughs) to that same conference and I went from booth to booth to booth years later. And I got my beginner's luck a second time. Mm -hmm. I got to a publisher, a major publisher, and not right away, but they said, we'd like to publish this book. And I said, wow, why? And they said, didn't you read our catalog? (laughs) We have a whole series of books on a budget, how to have a big time wedding on a budget, how to have a big time retirement on a budget. And my book, How to Raise Happy Kids on a Budget, fit right in. So that's where I learned you have to do your homework, but I've never had that good fortune again, right? but lots of good things happened. And that was back in 89, 95. So that's where I sort of learned the ropes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I continue to express myself with words. Right. Yeah. And you should. And, and for my audience out there, you know, if you've never done anything like that before, don't be afraid. Like they can just look at you and see what you did. You just have to be a little gutsy and get out there, talk to people, do things. First of all, you had to write the books, but then you have to get out there and really hustle a little bit, but there's lots of possibilities out there. And even if only a few people buy your book or Mm -hmm. find your book or whatever, Right. I think the process for your listeners is everybody has an experience that can help somebody. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had a disabled child. Maybe they had a mental health challenge. Maybe they have their grandmother's recipes. But the excitement of putting that all together, and now people can do a lot of this kind of stuff as an ebook and as a print book on Amazon. You don't have to find a major publisher. No. You can no. print 100 copies at a time. And yep. just have a hundred that you can share with friends and family. Right. And I don't want to use a fancy term like legacy, but you may just want to share your life with your children or your grandchildren. Yeah. You know, did you ever win anything? What was the happiest time in your life? Just things like that, that just come easily that you don't have to write anything fancy. They can be little paragraphs. Right. Um, and, and anybody can do that. And if they can't do it, they can find somebody that has done it before them that can give them some guidance. Anybody can do it. My grandmother wrote a book for the family. Uh, she was in Germany during the war, and my mother was here already as an immigrant. But she was over there with my other aunt and my uncle and her husband, and it was a very hard time. So she wrote a little book. She wanted people to know how hard it was during the war mm, wow. and what she went through. So she did. She wrote her little book. She wrote it in German, and then she had someone translate it wow. into English, and then she made copies of both of them to hand hand out to all of her families and friends. And we cherish that book today. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it tells what happened to her. And I was lucky enough because I went over to Germany 
way back in 70, I guess. And I met a lot of the people she talked about in the book. Wow. So, you know, it's even more alive and real to me. And I, I drove past the house that all this happened in. And wow. it's just so anybody can do that. And today, all you have to do is type it up and print it out yourself. She paid a lot of money to have that done because it was very important for her to have mm-hmm. her family and friends know what happened and remember. So mm-hmm. she spent a lot of money doing that. They're all nice little booklets. Um, but today you can just do it on your own. And it's important to pass that knowledge down to your kids. Mm-hmm. Not just everything that happened, because later on, after you're gone, kids like uh, with my parents, I think now, oh, I wanted to ask my father a question about that. Or you have questions about relatives or ancestry and you can't ask them anymore. They're gone. So a lot of that information can go into a family album and you just write down all the information about your family and, you know, the older part of your family that the young ones are never, never met, will never know about, but put it down there. So it's there for their posterity. It's, you know, it's perfect. Perfect. And my mother, when she was 52, mm-hmm. she decided she wanted to go to Villanova. She had been a secretary and she had been a good student, but those opportunities didn't come. Right. And I went to Villanova and my other brothers and sisters went there and we thought, oh, geez, poor mom. She can't go to Villanova. Those kids are so snobby. They're not <laughs> whatever I was thinking, like, who's she going to sit with in the cafeteria? People are in their cliques. Poor mom, poor mom. But I knew she wanted to be valedictorian. She got all A's in every class. Wow. There were a couple of classes that her professors asked her to use her papers, you know, for other students. Mm-hmm. And she was valedictorian when she graduated at age 58. See that? That's amazing. That's and wonderful. She wanted to become a teacher. And we're going, oh, poor mom. <laughs> Who's going to hire her? She's 58. Right. She'll never, I mean, it's impossible. And she got a job teaching at Visitation School in Norristown, and she taught fifth grade. And in the beginning, she was talking about role models, and these kids were naming basketball players, and they were talking about Pac-Man and whatever it was. Right. And my mother thought these children need role models. So she wrote a book about Mother Teresa, because Mother Teresa had come to Norristown the previous month to start the Calcutta House, which is for homeless families wow. in Northam. Right. And my mother and I, you know, went to a few of these events around that time. I'm, you know, my mother was so inspired. So she wrote a book called The Young Life of Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. And then she wrote 13 books until she died in 1988. And her last book was coming out right before she passed away. And it was about Dorothy Day, not Doris Day. Dorothy Day was a a rich woman who became a great benefactor and set up, they weren't called homeless shelters, but they were homes for people that they couldn't just stay a few months. You could come and stay and have all the resources. Mm. So my mother wrote about the Pope and she wrote about Padre Pio. And for 13 years. That's amazing. Right. And, And her book sold very well because- They were published by major Catholic publishers. Mm -hmm. They were sold to the homeschooling market. She was on different television shows. And my mother got to express herself why she thought it was so important that children would know about good virtues. Right. And my mother, even though my father had passed away and she was alone, she wasn't lonely because she used that time, A, to write books, 
be to volunteer at Greaterford Prison, and then the last six years of her life to volunteer through Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church with the women's prison in Bucks County. And every Thursday night, she had such a feeling of excitement because she prepared what she was going to do for these young women that were at the uh, Bucks County uh, Correctional Institute. Yep. So yep. I learned from my mother, really, it's never too late to be a late bloomer, a late boomer. Yep. And, <laughs> and, she, and another thing I remember when she retired, she said she was going to get her hair done and always read the Inquirer, the Intelligencer, and another newspaper because she never wanted people to not have something to talk to her about. She wanted to be interesting to people. And so important. Yeah. She got her hair done. Uh-huh. She wore makeup. Right. She always dressed attractively. Right. Even though she was hunched over with osteoporosis, her mind was clear and she was always approachable. And right. she always was interesting. And I, I always noticed how if she saw somebody with young children, she or if she saw saw a happy couple, she would always just go up to them and just I didn't understand. She said, I hope you're always as happy as you are right now. <laughs> or your children are so beautiful. I wish you many happy days with your children. And I thought, why would she say this? And now I find myself right. doing I see a happy couple in the movie theater and I go, oh, aren't they lucky? All those little children at Perkins, aren't they lucky? So you pick up lessons from your mother by osmosis that you never knew were important. And I hope too, that as I get older and my children are in their thirties now, I have four children, 38, 36, 33, and 30, three girls and a boy. I hope I remember to read magazines or read things on the internet just so they don't just say, mom, how are you? Did you go to Aldi's today? I want them to know I can talk about some interesting topics as well. Absolutely. It's important. And it keeps your mind alert. So you've got to be out exercising, doing something. Just walking is enough, but you've got to be moving and you've got to keep your brain active to really be able to age well. Mm Mm-hmm. I know she also um, did things, I, I don't really know, corporal works of mercy, something in her face, mm-hmm. feed the hungry, right? give drink to the thirsty, thirsty, visit the imprisoned. And I saw that she did those things. She picked up food from Manhattan bagels. Mm-hmm. She collected clothes. She visited the people at Greater Ford and at the Bucks County Prison. So I think the way she kept herself vibrant and happy was by doing those things because it gave her something to do in her routine. Every day she would get up, she would get dressed attractively, she'd get in her car and she would help people. I remember one time we were taking flowers to a nursing home in Germantown and we were going from room to room. We would put a vase on each nightstand or on the windowsill. Mm -hmm. And there was this lady and my mother said, oh, what do you want from Santa Claus? And the lady said, there ain't no Santa Claus here. (laughs) (laughs) And my mother said, well, if there was a Santa Claus, what would you want? She said, I'd want a flannel nightgown like my grandmother used to make for me. Not thin, that thick flannel kind. Right. And my mother and I drove home from Germantown. And she said, let's go to Penny's. And she looked for the heavy flannel. We couldn't find it. We went around the Montgomery Mall and she found two of that old-fashioned heavy flannel. Yep. She put it in a box. 
with the tissue paper folded neatly this way and this way. No, no gift bag for her tied right. with the corner and the ribbon. And she said, let's go back to Germantown. <laughs> and he went into the room and just humbly and quiet because that's the way my mother was. Right. She said, Genevieve, Santa Claus brought you something. And there were the two nightgowns. And I just think that it did so much for Genevieve to receive them. Right. It did so much for my mother, who wasn't a person of means to do that. Right. It was wonderful for me to witness that kindness. Mm -hmm. And it was also wonderful, probably for the nurses that might come in and see her in this new blue or pink nightgown to say, wow, look at a little kindness did for Genevieve. Yes. Yes. Kindness. That's what life is all about. We need to be kinder to each other and do those little things. It's really important. And you hear a lot of more people talking about it now, which is good. But as boomers, if you are not working full-time anymore, we have time to volunteer. And it's it can be an important part of your life because like you said, it keeps you active. It makes you feel good because you're helping someone else. You, you get that feel-good feeling. And that's important for your health too. Those right. Endorphins and all that go through your body when you're helping someone, that's all part of being healthy. So it's important. When I started the Happy Flower Day project, it was May of 2013. And my daughter worked for Action AIDS. And at the end of an event, she passed out these beautiful bouquets to people. And I asked Kristen where she got them. And she told me the different specialty markets that give away to nonprofits that they can deliver these flowers. Mm -hmm. So my mother and I went to one of these stores and asked if we could pick up their day old flowers. And we had to become a nonprofit to do that. So every morning, my mother and I would get up, we'd go have coffee at McDonald's, we'd have a cinnamon bun, we'd go to the bathroom, and then we'd go. And we'd pick up these flowers, maybe a 100 bouquets at a time. And my mother would always say, God, where can we take these flowers today? Who needs hope? And then she'd say, we should take them to an AIDS hospice. And I'd say, mom, I don't know where one is. Well, get on that phone and figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) So my mother was at that point, she was probably 86. And then we had a friend, Bob, and he was 91. So Bob came with us. My mother had oxygen and a walker, no, a cane. Bob had a walker. So Bob was a 91-year-old volunteer. My mother was 88. And we would do that. And then on Tuesday night, we would go to the piano bar in Doylestown. And we would sing. They would sing. And Bob also played the harmonica. He had been a Yale graduate. He had been an executive with U.S. Steel or some company like that. Mm -hmm. My mother was interesting. So when we drove along, it wasn't like we were talking about the weather Bob was talking about the Manhattan Project, and my mother was talking about something. And Bob played the harmonica. So when we went into these nursing homes, he played patriotic tunes. My mother loved Patsy Cline, so they would sing Patsy Cline songs or patriotic tunes. Right. They both passed away, and I moved to Worcester. And I have a neighbor, and she's now 96. But when I moved here five years ago... I asked her if she wanted to join me. So here was Ella, 92 years old. And every morning she'd call, where are we going today? I said, (laughs) Ella, I'll pick you up at 830. I'll pick you up at nine. Right. And we drive down to 21st and Market Street, which is 28.9 miles. We drive to Wayne. We drive to Jenkintown. 
we have our whole brood of where we pick up the flowers. And Ella had a life. Every day we were going to North Philadelphia to senior apartments. We were going to West Philadelphia senior centers. She got so many hugs. She's four foot eight. I'm five foot 11. <laughs> she, wanted, she wanted to help me. Right. She has a cane. I'm holding her. She's holding me. We're rocking. <laughs> but everybody loved her. And she had a kind word for everybody. Right. Well, when the pandemic hit last March, when mm-hmm. she was still 95 and she turned 96 in September, mm-hmm. her life changed totally. I continued to do the flowers, but there was no way I could have Ella sitting right next to me without the safe distancing. Right. And and it just has taken her zest for life. Like she'll call me and say, well, can I come with you? I almost want to say, I'll rent a van that you sit way in the back of the school bus. (laughs) I'll be in the front. (laughs) Yeah. Because that made life exciting for her. We went every day and then we would go to the diner. She would treat me to the diner and I'd have oatmeal and she'd have a cup of soup. Right. But we spent four hours a day with each other for many years. Yeah. And now she... She says she can't really see and she can't really hear and she's lonely. But you know what? She still sees when my car leaves in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) She'll say, oh, I see your car isn't there. (laughs) But I know if she had that purpose again, she would be have that zip and that zest. All she needs is me to hold her hand and say, Ella, I need you. Yes. And people are asking about you and I want you to come with me. And I really feel that way. Yeah. But because of the virus and she's older, well, so am I. Yeah. But but she's a lot older. Yeah. We can't take a chance. Right. But so many people kissed her and hugged her and, and loved her because she was just vulnerable and adorable, but she was so giving, like she had a kind word for everybody And it seemed like every young woman, we would go to McDonald's in Philadelphia. We'd go to Burger King's. We -hmm. would just go in and ask the manager if we could pass out the flowers to all the people sitting in Wendy's or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she would go from table to table. Nobody ever said no. But so many young people said to her, I wish you were my grandmother. (laughs) And I was, well, you know what? I want to give you my phone number. Please come for some coffee and cake sometime. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's crazy. It was crazy, and it was such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing for us all to do together. My mom and Bob. So I've only had three volunteers, mom mom 88-ish, Bob 91, and Ella, who's 96. And, you know, people often say, oh, I want to volunteer. How can I help you? But honestly, Terry, I don't want volunteers. I just have to do it my way. You know, I wake up in the morning. Right. Sometimes stores have flowers. They tell me they have a hundred. I get there and somebody else has picked them up or some mix up in communication. Mm-hmm. So I haven't taken it to another level. It's just something that as an individual and maybe with my little grandchildren or my three senior helpers or sometimes my, my family members, Right. it's something that it's just my own little project right now. Right. But um, it's, been so rewarding for me since May of 2013. Yeah, it is rewarding to be out there and giving. It really is. You're giving to other people there. You make them so happy. It's it's very rewarding. I can imagine. 
And I stopped counting at 65,000 bouquets. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I stopped counting. I just can't even imagine it, that many. It, it didn't really matter after that. I mean, it was <laughs> no. like, it was like 12, at least 12,000 a year, at least 1,000 a month, at least 250 a week. But last week, I picked up 500 bouquets, and I took them to Inglis House, Hayes Manor, Simpson House, Gwinnett Estates, and Silver Stream Nursing Home. Wow. And I can't go in and pass them out as an individual anymore, right. but I can text the activity director and say, I'm outside. Mm-hmm. I used to bring vases. I used to collect vases too, mm-hmm. but it got to the point they'd be rattling around in my car and people right. would be bringing the wrong size. They'd have big buckets. You know, I would say, if anyone has given you flowers and you don't need your vases, because underneath people's sinks, they have all kinds of things. I've got but tons I, of them. Tons <laughs> of them. But I didn't want tons. I just wanted something glass that I could put one bouquet. Right. And when I started getting copper tins and this and that, and they'd be rolling around in my car, it got to the point I would just say to the nursing homes, right. you know, here's the flowers, go to the dollar store, go to the thrift store. Or I would say, put a big box like Toys for Tots in your mm-hmm. nursing home and put a sign and ask your visitors and staff and whatever to just dump their extra vases and then you'll have them when I come. Right, right. Because everyone has extra vases. They do. Right. So it's perfect. Wow, that's really nice. Such a great story. So great. Thank you. Yeah. And then you also had things for kids fun book you did. So things that you could do with your kids. So right. I don't think we talked about that yet. That's another little one of the drop down things that you do. And that's <laughs> on your website. So anyone, well, we're mostly talking to boomers, but if they have grandchildren, you're always right. trying to think of new things to do with the grandkids. So they could go to the kids fun book and find things to do. Right. Right. And the way that came about is way back when I was doing the daycare back in 1989, my daughter, Robin, was a baby. And so I wrote this book on how to start a childcare. Mm-hmm. But then I thought we need activities to entertain kids when you're caring for kids in your home. And my right. first daughter's name was Robin. So I called it Robin's Play and Learn Book. And it was all these things to do with straws and coffee filters and food coloring. And then during this hiatus period in my little hidey hole during the pandemic, I said, wait, let me get that book out. And I went, Oh my God, there's more than a hundred fun things to do with straws, with popsicle sticks. Hmm. And I thought, even though they were good for my generation in the eighties, when I was raising kids, they're good now for my grandchildren, Bridget and Greta. So I got all these ideas together and I renamed the book, Granny Trisha's Play and Learn Book. (laughs) (laughs) I was 34 when I did it. Now I'm 69, but the ideas in there- are still good. So I, I put it together as a book, but I also on that website, I put it that people can click that tab and every day they can, what I did in the beginning of the pandemic is I would, I bought the popsicle sticks and coffee filters, one set for me and one set for my daughter with her children. And my plan was that each day we would do FaceTime and we would do a little craft together. And they're so simple. They're nothing complicated even experiments like when you mix cooking oil with water and add a little few coloring, what do you mm-hmm. think will happen? And then right. just little teeny weeny science experiments and fun things. So that's how the kids fun came about. 
And it's great because it gives you something to do when you're talking to them. Because if yeah. you're just going to talk to them FaceTime or Zoom or whatever, they're not going to stay on the phone very long. But if you're doing a project, they'll do it with you. So that's a great idea. And the really, I mean, something that takes like three minutes. Yeah. But just to tell people nothing ventured, nothing gained. I had all these ideas, all these sayings, all these books, all these kids fun. <laughs> and I thought, boy, I wish I had a column like Dear Abby, Dear Eloise, something like Trisha's Corner or Granny's Corner. I didn't have a name for it. And I sent a letter to the editor of my local newspaper last week. And I said, can I offer a free every day or once a week that you'll just take one of these sayings or kids fun or... <laughs> I said, to make it timely, I love you deeply for the month of Valentine's. And she said, yes. She said, boy, submit them them to me, Uh but I can't pay you. And I thought, well, I don't need to be paid. I'm so happy to have a a venue to share them. And really, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Who knows? Maybe it will get picked up by another newspaper or another one. But if not. 17,000 readers or whatever will just, maybe they'll like it. Maybe they'll get some positivity. Maybe they'll have something to, I I said to my daughter, I said, you know, maybe people will just cut out that I love you deeply, cut it out of the paper. Yeah. And they'll, they'll send it to their daughter or their husband or their mother and just give them a little petal of hope or just inspiration or just something like that. But I hesitate. I thought about doing that for a while and I thought, no, this editor is not going to do it. I tried it one other time with the intelligencer. I guess when I first did it, I mm-hmm. sent an email and I didn't get a response. Why will I try again? And then I thought, wait, let's try another newspaper. And she was responsive. Right. And I have to put it in the format that they use it. Not, in, But that's okay. I can, I can, I can change the dimensions. Yeah, right. But I'm just excited right now that... I did try something that I really was a little fearful to do. Yeah, you stepped out of your comfort zone. And I think that's yes. important. You've got to try things that make you a little bit uncomfortable. But they said yes. Yes. They said yes. And you know, so many people that have published books that have been uh, very, very popular, they had to go to 10 or 20 different publishers sometimes till they got someone to say yes. So you can't just because someone says no, you just keep trying, keep trying. You only had to do it twice. The first paper said no. The second one said yes. That's pretty amazing. I had I had another project one time, and I'm just telling you this just to give people a little inspiration. Right. Our family was writing a book. Well, no, we had written a book. We had a topic we wanted to share to different service groups and organizations. Mm-hmm. And there was an article in the newspaper. And it was actually made the front page of the inquiry about our family's desire to share something to help other families. And my husband was working at a men's clothing store. And this man came in and he said, so, John, I, I read about what your family is doing. Is there anything that you want to do moving forward from there? And John said, well, we'd like to write a book about it. He said, well, you know what? You write a book and I'll cover the cost for a thousand copies. And he gave us, gave us $6,000 because the book costs about 5,000 to print and another dollar per book to do whatever. Right. Right. But I have a few things I want you to do for me. 
He said, when this book comes out, I'd like you to speak to this synagogue and this synagogue. I'd like you to speak to the United Way. I'd like you to speak at Montgomery County Community College. And maybe there were seven or eight organizations that Mm -hmm. he was affiliated with in some way. Right. Terry, we could never have imagined that. We printed the thousand copies of the book. Right. We gave them out at those particular places. Mm -hmm. And then the balance, maybe there were 900 left. And my kids decided that they didn't want to be sharing this personal stuff. We had been approached by the Dr. Phil show and People Magazine. Oh, wow. But but the kids at that point thought, wait, mom and dad, you said you wanted to write a book about this, but you didn't say you were going to like be in our backyard talking about it. (laughs) So the, the Dr. Phil show wanted it to be like the whole family and they wanted us to fly out to LA. It was like four days later and the kids were in college and two out of four said, no way. Yeah. And so we declined that. But the fact that we wrote the book and shared our feelings with each other Mm -hmm. was a great healing for our family. And then since we couldn't sell the book or market it after we did gave these speaking engagements to those organizations. Right. The balance of those 900 books with this man's support, because I said, I want to mail these out to an organization that's national, that they can share these with their members. Right. He gave us, I'm going to say another grant of maybe $2,000 to pack these books. I mean, there were a lot. Yeah. 900 books in padded envelopes with mailing labels. And, oh my gosh. You know, but it didn't matter that it didn't become a bestseller or that we didn't do anything national. What mattered was that our family had an opportunity for each person to write a chapter and the kids knew what dad was thinking and what mom was thinking. And we learned for the first time how everything affected them. Yep. See that? It's amazing what can come out of those little baby steps that you do. You say, oh, I'm thinking of this. And then you do it and you mention it to one person. You just never know where things are going to start to go once you just take that first step. Mm -hmm. And I also learned the goodness of people. For that man to come in and say to John, "I, I applaud you for you and your family coming out and talking about this. He must have had some reason that it mattered to him personally, but he wasn't able to be the spokesperson and he wanted to support our family for sharing our, our story with other people. Yeah. That's wonderful. Wow. There are so many good people out there. There really are more good than bad, but we only hear about the bad, which is unfortunate. So, but there's a lot of good, which is why I'm doing my podcast. I want people to hear about the good and know that you can do more good. Even as a retired person, we have a lot of years left and we can give back to society. There's a lot we can still accomplish and we'll feel better. And everyone, there'll be other people that can benefit. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's important. It really is. One other thing about my mother, when she was 79, we had a relative of a relative and the kid lived in a really bad situation in Camden and the parents were going to have to relinquish their rights for whatever the reason was. And it was a terrible situation. And my mother and I went down to Dykes in Camden and my mother said she wanted to adopt this child, this boy, I guess he was about eight or nine. Wow. And um, she really meant it because she knew 
that as a teacher and as a loving mother and someone that had, had we had had foster children throughout our growing up years, that she really wanted to help this little boy. But they said she was too old. Oh, and, shame. And that little boy went through many foster homes after that Ugh. and had and had a lot of challenges. Yeah. But at age 79, they they said no to my mother. Yeah. And I wasn't in a position myself. I didn't have that ability at that point. We're close to that that young man now. But just that my mother was opening her heart and at age that people would think, well, you could never do that. And she said, we're going down to Camden. I'm signing up. I want to help him. <laughs> See that? Your mother was an amazing woman. She was a great role model for you. She was. She really she was. was. Yeah. That's great. And I found there are women in our from our past were great role models. Like women did amazing things in their later years. They really did. So we're just continuing. We want to do maybe even more. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you doing this interview. Yeah, this has been great. I'm really hoping a lot of people go to your website, take advantage of your poems, your prayers, because they're wonderful. We're going to have all that in the show notes. But thank you so much for sharing this with us. It's been great. And uh, I just want to thank you again. It's been wonderful. There's, I know there's going to be a lot of good coming out of today's podcast. You're going to help a lot of people. So thank you. Well, I look forward to meeting you in person. Maybe we can go to Perkins when this is all over in Doylestown. Yeah, that would be great. I hope so. We live so close. I've interviewed people in Thailand and Russia, and but you're right in my neighborhood. So yep. <laughs> it would be nice. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tari. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old.